Open your Bibles, if you would, to Romans chapter 9. Romans, the ninth chapter. Just had a few thoughts to share with you this evening. Talking about um, clay in the potter's hand. There's a song that we sing by that title, I believe. It comes from right here in Romans chapter 9, and a couple of other places we'll look at, the idea at least. Um, a couple other places we'll look at tonight. Um, but let's do a little bit of reading um, to begin with. In Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse 19, it says, You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For, why, uh, for who resists his will? And notice verse 20, On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did, you, why did you make me this way, will it? Or does not the potter have the right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel of honorable use and another for common use? The idea here about the clay in the potter's hand. First of all, let's understand a little bit about uh, who the potter is and who the clay is. Now, it's obvious um, from that reading, who it is. But it's important to, to get these roles down because um, it speaks to what it is we're talking about in this lesson about who is it uh, that has authority over who. Um, so we read there, of course, we understand that God is the, is the potter and we are the clay. We are the clay in that potter's hands that is being molded and made into a vessel. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we go. Um, And as I mentioned, this illustration is also used in Isaiah uh, and other places as well. But there's a couple of examples in Isaiah that go right along with um, what Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 9. So what I wanted to do tonight is look at these two examples here in Isaiah and this one uh, here in, in Romans, and see how each one of these um, give us a little bit different um, idea about the same concept. Gives us a little bit more insight into this same concept about a maker and something that's being made. So, um, in Isaiah chapter 29 and verse 16, it says this, It says, you turn things around. Shall the potter be considered as equal with the clay? That what is made um, would say to its maker, he did not make me. Or what is formed say to him who formed it, he has no understanding. You see what's being said here? And the idea here is that God is not to be considered equal with the clay. You know, look back at that, that verse. That what is made would say to his maker, he did not make me. Can you imagine standing before God and saying, oh, God, you didn't make me? Or saying, this God who formed us, who created man, saying to him, you have no understanding of what you're doing. Of course not. We know that that's uh, silly to even think about that. And this is the point that Isaiah is making here. Why would you question God? Why would you consider 
equality with God when you have been made by God. We know from, from several passages um, that, that tell us that his ways are, are, are not our ways. We know from other passages there's a distinction between God and man, obviously. In 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 11, Paul talks there about how no one can even know the mind of God. Only the Holy Spirit actually knows the mind of God. And we understand that to be true. And we know the reasons why. Now, there's a caveat in this in understanding that there's a lot we do know about God, right? And how do we know about God? We know about him because of what he's revealed to us in his word. He's told us a lot about him. About how he treated his children in days gone by. What all he has done for him, the, the, them, the promises that he's made. How he treats those who would come against his children. What he has done to, to save man from their sins. There's a lot we do know about God. But we really don't know the mind of God other than what he has revealed to us. Only the Holy Spirit knows that about God. So when we start trying to equate ourselves with God, we run afoul of that very quickly. And we're in danger of elevating ourselves to a point where we ought not to. Also understand this about our Lord, too. In Philippians uh, chapter 2, there, verses 6 and 7, it speaks about how Jesus emptied himself, left heaven, and came down to earth. You know, in that is their idea that, that he was higher than man. If he had to empty himself of, of status and, 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 and all that he had to do to leave heaven to come down to earth, we understand that, that he was at a time higher than, than what he had to do to leave heaven to come down to earth. We understand that. The Hebrew writer talks about this as well, that for a little while he was made lower than the angels. So if he's, if he's divesting himself of this, um, then that means that he is higher than man. And of course we know that. In understanding all this, we'll go back to this, that the thing made has no right to say of the maker, he has no understanding. God, of course, has full understanding of his creatures that he has made. He knows us. Jesus talks about how uh, the hairs on our head are numbered. That's the level of detail that our God knows us. And so we need to be very careful if we start down this path of trying to equate ourselves with God. Because it's just not at all true. The other verse in Isaiah that speaks along these lines is, Chapter 45 of Isaiah and verse 9. It says, Woe to the one who quarrels with his master, an earthenware vessel among the vessels of earth. Will the clay say to the potter, What are you doing? Or the thing you are making say, He has no hands. So this is very similar to what was said over there a moment ago, but just a little bit of difference in this. And the difference is that we are not to question why we were made. As the, 
as it points out here in, in verse 9, why would the, the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? Why would we stand in, in, in the presence of God and say, why did you make me? We don't have that right to question God in that way. God has a purpose for each one of us. And though we may not fully understand it, now I, I will tell you this, that of course we know what our ultimate purpose is, is that is to serve God. But there's ways in which we do that in this earth, right? Some are preachers, some are teachers. Um, as Paul talks about there in Ephesians, all these are doing these things for the working of the body. And as we grow and mature in our service to God, we, we, we find out where we fit in that. And we do those things, so we, we, we find that out over time. But we know that passages like Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13, that we know very clearly understanding that fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every man. We know that serving God is utmost, and that's what we do. Now, the individual roles we, um, we kind of evolve into, if you will, but in all this, God has created us for a purpose. So we ought not to question him. And not, ought not to ask why that we were made. First of all, he's told us why we're made. To serve him. Look with me in Acts chapter 17. <clears throat> Acts chapter 17. Beginning verse 24, it says, The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, neither is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of man, uh, every nation of mankind, to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times, and their boundaries of their habitation, that they should seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Verse 28, For in him we live and move and exist, as some of our own poets have said, for we also are his offspring. Doesn't that tell us right there about our creator? He's created all things. And the, even the habitat in which we live, the thing that we, how we live and exist and move, God's created all that. So if we start down this road of asking why, we can look at passages like this and understand that this is God's will that he has done this. And we ought not to question why. God who made all things in the world, he's not served by human hands. Now we say that that we are, the purpose here is to serve God, and that's true. But do you really think we can do anything that, that he needs? No. We do it because that's his will for us. Does he need anything? Does, does the created need anything from the creator? Backwards. Does the creator need anything from the created? No. Now we are given things that we are to do. But God's not served by that. We don't build temples and, and do things for God. We do them because he's commanded us to do them. He's not served by our hands in that way. We were created 
to be his children and to inherit all the things, all the blessings that he has given to us. We inherit those, including heaven. We spoke about that in this morning's lesson, about that rest that lies ahead for us. God has promised that to us. And that's something that we inherit. Something that's waiting for us. So we need to be very, question, very careful about asking that question why we are made. Now to the Romans passage, or back to the Romans passage. Verse 20, it says there, On the contrary, who are, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, Why did you make me like this, will it? I love the way that's said. Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Why would that even enter into your brain? To ask that of God. And the lesson here is that we are not to question how we are made. Paul, in this, in this passage, talks about vessels, um, different vessels, one for honorable use and another for common use there in the end of verse 21. There's differences in the things that he has created. And that's his will. That's up to him to do that. So we aren't to question how we are made. We must believe that God is our creator and must trust that he made us according to his plan and to his image. And he has. All the way back to Genesis. When everything was being created. Remember what was said. Let us make man in our image. So we're created in the image of God. So we don't need to question how we are made. Just simply know that we have been made. God has created man. And has put in us the ability to then procreate. But he is the one who gives us our soul. We also see from this passage that uh, he makes differently as he sees fit, as we just mentioned. Some vessels for honorable use, some for dishonorable use. And those things are up to God. That's his prerogative to do that. The vessels don't get to, to ask the, the potter what he's doing, right? Um, why did you make me like this? We don't get to answer that or get to ask that. concept here I think we understand very well, don't we? That we are made in the image of God. God created us. And so we don't get the answer back to him in that way. He's told us all that we need to know through his word. He's given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. So we ought not to have those kind of questions to ask, ask back to our creator. There's something else in this that we'll kind of consider as we start to close here is this idea is that are we still being formed? You know, we, we understand about um, God creating Adam and Eve and then instilling in them the process by which they can then pro procreate. But that all goes back to God, the creator. But are we still being formed? Um, yes, we are a product of that divine creation, we are that clay that the potter has formed into a vessel. But he continues to shape and mold us, doesn't he? He continues to 
uh, mold us into that, um, that form that he would ultimately have us be. And so we look at passages like Romans chapter 12. Turn over a couple of pages um, if you're there in Romans to chapter 12. We come to this passage often. It's one of my favorites, along with Acts chapter 17. Um, but Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I urge you there, bre- uh, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable, go- acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do we go about doing that? By reading God's word, by praying, by singing, by coming together on the first day of the week to be encouraged by our brethren and to encourage our brethren. That's how we are being transformed. And I would submit that that's a constant process. We need to be renewed all the time. And we see God's wisdom in having us come together on the first day of every week so that we can engage in those kind of things and be encouraged and be strengthened. So we're still being formed in that way. We're still being transformed, not conformed to this world, but being transformed into the image of God. So he's constantly working on us through his word. Look over in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Beginning in verse 12, it says, Having therefore such a hope, We use great boldness in our speech and are not as Moses who used to put a veil over his face that the sons of Israel might not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened for until this very day at the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it was not because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, all veil lies over their heart. But whenever a man turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, belonging in the mirror to the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Now what all, that's a mouthful, isn't it? What all is Paul talking about there? He's using this, uh, if you remember, when Moses came down from the mountain, how his face shone. And they had to put a veil. He had to put a veil over his face, so that the people wouldn't be frightened by the uh, this appearance of his. Paul's using that as an analogy to understand this is the old law, and what he's saying there is that's the law of Moses. And even though that that veil was put over Moses's face, what they were looking at was fading away. And he's drawing reference here to the fact that the law of Moses eventually would be done away with. But he makes the contrast there, then the law of liberty, the law of Christ, the veil is taken away. Verse 17, now the Lord is spirit, and the spirit of the Lord is there is liberty. But we are all with unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same imagery of uh, of glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. We don't have that veil because Christ is never fading away. The law of liberty, the law of Christ that we have is never fading away. The veil has been lifted. But to our point, what we're talking about here in verse 18, transformed into the same image from glory to glory. 
through God's word, through the revelation of the law of Christ, we're being transformed constantly, ever better, ever more serving God as we should be. Look over also in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. More of this um, transforming. Beginning verse 20 of Ephesians 4. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and you have been renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which is the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. You see that process that Paul is talking about there? We've put away that old self. We've put on the new self. We are constantly being renewed. We're constantly being transformed into the likeness, into the image of God. So it's not just that we've been created and, and that's it. God continues to mold us, continues to, to transform us, to, to shape us into that ultimate vessel that he would have us to be. And he does it through his word. The more we know about God, the more we know how we ought to live our lives pleasing to God. So God is indeed that master potter. He's the creator of, of us and all things. As we, as we read there in Acts chapter 17, he's, he's made us and all things, even the habitat which we live in. He is that creator. He's that ultimate potter. And we are not to question why we were made. We don't have that right. As the, as the clay speaking to the potter, we don't have that right to ask why we are made, nor do we have that right to ask how we were made. God has told us what he wants us to know about that. We're not to question here. We're not to answer back. Who are you, O man, who answers back to God? We are constantly being formed by his word. So as we think about that we were formed in such a way, but we're also continuing to be formed by the renewing of our mind, by our study, by what God would have us to do ultimately. And that is be that perfect servant, be that perfect child of his. And that's what we strive for. We are the clay. Let God mold us into what he wants us to be. If you have needs of the congregation, uh, I encourage you to, to let them be known. We pray for each other often. We mention each other often. But if there's something special that you need, there, there's no shame in coming forward and asking for that. In fact, it's quite, uh, uh, quite bold and quite encouraging when someone comes forward recognizing that they are weak and they need the prayers of the congregation, need the, the brethren to lean on. So if you have needs, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you. <laughs>